previously on The Avatar Returns. If he changed his title to the Fresh Prince of the Fire Nation, I'd be I'd be all about it. Um, we don't ask KJ any other questions. <laughs> Thundercats? Like, do you feel like the, like the backstory of Thundercats? It's bonkers. I'm gonna I'm gonna ad- admit this because it's really embarrassing and makes me look like even more of an idiot than I usually do. There's no Avatar equivalent of McDonald's that I've seen so far. I love Omashu's system of like earthbending as industry and earthbending as transport I think is really awesome. Aang is Chuck D. She's Flavorfoot. I personally, as the resident first-time viewer, do not consider that a spoiler. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm motorboated. That doesn't mean I'm a waterbender. <laughs> that, <clears throat> that, was, uh, that was a little deep, you guys. That was, that was, that was a deep-cut uh, Avatar world-building bu- conversation. Hello and welcome to the Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before. We are fans. But this is AJ's first trip to the world of Avatar. Uh, that means there will be spoilers, but only up to this particular point that we're going to talk about right now. And uh this week, we're going to be discussing Book 1, Chapters 7 through 10. That's The Spirit World, Winter Solstice Part 1, Avatar Roku, Winter Solstice Part 2, The Waterbending Scroll, and Jet. But before we get to that, how are you guys doing? I'm doing I'm pretty great. good. Oh, wow, we're talking over each other. This is going to go well. <laughs> it's like it's like an Altman movie. <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> All right. Well... Uh, I'm the only one not consuming uh, alcoholic beverage, so... That's true. We'll see. But, Paul, tell the folks at home what you are consuming. Uh, chai latte? It's, ladies and gentlemen, it is, uh, where Paul lives, it's 8.35 at night. Just <laughs> judge him in silence. Because because I'm having caffeine after 8 o'clock? Is that why I'm being judged? <laughs> I'm going to judge you just for drinking a chai latte. Okay. Are you are you part of the one percent? It is a ta- it is a tasty beverage. Yes, is, I I, quit, a... I retired from my job so I could become one of the one percent. <laughs> is it a pumpkin spice chai latte? It is not. It's just oh, okay. Well, you... well, well, to hell with you then. Whatever. I know it doesn't even count, right? Yeah. What what month are we in? Oh, come on, this is ridiculous. <sighs> I'm sorry. Next next week, I promise I'll be drinking something pumpkiny. Paul see, has been demoted to the two percent. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, uh, you you scored points with me for not drinking something pumpkin spice related, because there are far too many pumpkin spice related products out there to be consumed. So, Paul, I begrudgingly say you're doing a good job. Okay, thank you. I probably have some sort of um, pumpkin beer in my fridge. I'm sure I do. I've got so many different kinds of beer in there. There's got to be something with pumpkin in it. I had a pumpkin beer earlier today. Yeah, was it good? It was pretty good. It was yeah. pretty good. Elysian Night Owl. Check it out. Oh, there you go. Of course, I don't have any taste anymore, so it hardly matters. Like, I'll drink some pumpkin spice beer, and I'll say, yeah, whatever, it's wet. That's all I can tell you. So. Wow. So many jokes, Paul. So many jokes. All right. Well, save them for the tag. Um, all right. So, AJ, since you're the newbie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, this, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. This... Uh, this is the first time on the podcast that we are discussing four episodes, four chapters in a single podcast. And this is our first uh, two-parter. So, God, yeah. that, uh, that extra episode, that extra 23 minutes really dragged, man. It, it, yes. We're going <laughs> to squeeze an extra hour of podcast time out of it. So. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so, we, so we're adapting, much like Peter Jackson adapted The Hobbit, that's what we're doing with these Avatar episodes? Yeah, yep. We're talking about uh, each episode and all of their appendices. Oh, good, good. <laughs> no, so uh, how did you feel about um, the this this chunk that we watched? These four um, episodes, how did, it, how did it sit with you? I'm almost afraid to say after last week, like, I want to say something positive, but then you'll just be like, well, no one else likes these, you piece of shit. Hey, hey, have some guts. Have some guts. Come on. Step on a limb here, AJ. Take, take your licks. I would say I do every night. I would say that these four episodes taken as a whole are, I think, probably the strongest uh, batch so far. Right on. Excellent. You remember, I think it was last week that I said 
Paul to like remind me to make sure I ma- I said when I felt like the show turned right. for me. Yeah. This was it. So it didn't take very long. This was it. I feel like the show got real in these four episodes. Like mostly in the first two, but I feel like it it held. Yeah. Through that. Yeah. But this was like this was really like I feel like this was a turning point for the show going from the balance just felt right. Through yeah. almost all, through, I'd say three of these four episodes, but I liked all four of them despite that. But it was definitely, definitely a step up for the show. Yeah, I agree. The uh, so it starts off with the two parter, the Winter Solstice Part One and Two, and yeah, I think those two um, they certainly uh, build upon the world that we've seen so far, and they introduce uh, again some more darker elements. So. We've now been introduced to the idea of the spirit world. I mean, obviously, the first episode was called the spirit world, but um, and also the fact that the avatar not only is the avatar meant to bring balance to I always want to say bring balance to the force is meant to bring balance to the world. um, But uh, apparently he's got a side job that nobody bothered to tell us about before this. Uh, He is the bridge between humans and the spirit world. The physical Which, world and the spirit world. You know what's interesting about this? So this is one of those things I'm glad I went back and watched because this idea of the bridging the spirit world thing will come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it appeared in Korra, because it's a plot, this this idea appears in Korra. Um, I thought they had just made it up for Korra. Oh, yeah. uh, in, in all in all seriousness, I was like, what is the spirit world stuff like? Is, is this this? I mean, and you know, there's important stuff that comes from that. And I think interesting stuff, but I just kind of wrote it off as something they kind of made up. Mm-hmm. For Cora, because they had a new series, I was full of shit. I was wrong. <laughs> Here was a two-parter where they dealt with the spirit world, which I thought was really cool. I, I actually really liked that. That was that was. In fact, an awful lot gets dropped in those two episodes. Besides this whole spirit world thing, we get the ticking clock. We get the stakes. Yes. Yeah. In these two in this two-parter, which I didn't think we got that this early either. I'll be honest. That that came out. That's that caught me off guard. Yeah, we get a lot of stuff. The uh, the spirit world, uh, the fact that apparently people can enter uh, or, or at least be taken to and from the spirit world so far. Uh, and apparently bending doesn't work in the spirit world. So that's a tough break for the Avatar to have to go hang out in the spirit world. Um, we learned that some people, uh, for example, Uncle Iroh, uh, seems to be able to perceive people who are in the spirit world, at least more so than maybe other people can. Uh, but yeah, you're right. We get the ticking clock, which um, happens to be... Uh, so we find out that there was a previous Fire Lord. We've already heard of Fire Lord Ozai. That's the current Fire Lord, and that's who the Avatar has to go fight. But before him, there was uh, Fire Lord Sozin. And Sozin's Comet. Which is, which is hurtling towards Earth or whatever. And uh, uh, apparently uh, Fire Lord Sozin somehow channeled the power, the energy from this comet, and uh, and it boosted his powers, and that's how he started this whole war 100 years ago. Uh, and it's about to come back again at the end of this summer. It's going to, to pass by the, the Earth again. And so not only do we find has Aang now found out in the course of two or three episodes that uh, he has to... Um, master all of these bending styles so that he can go and fa- f- you know fight uh, Fire Lord Ozai, but he has to do it by the end of this summer before the comet comes back and uh, Ozai becomes super powerful. So How does let it... me ask. Go oh, sorry. Go ahead, AJ. Let me ask. Where are we? Like, how, how long of a of a time frame is that? Like, where are we in like this year of the show? Like, how far away is the end of summer? Isn't the episode called The Winter Solstice? Oh. Jesus Christ. Wow. My God. <laughs> we're, we're, we're so well, smart. We're so smart. Well. I would love to edit that out of the show. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. No, this was my moment. It's Thanos. <laughs> okay. That sort of invalidates anything I'll ever say on a podcast ever again. Oh. This might be my favorite moment podcasting with you ever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so, yes. Uh, so, he has less than a year. Less than yeah. a year to do all. Yeah, yeah and he, he makes a point. He he's obviously um, agitated by this revelation because, uh, you know, he makes the point that it, it takes years of study. Uh, it, theoretically, you should study each of the bending styles for years to master them. And he has less than a year to to uh, not only find people to train him, but to actually master 
three more bending styles. You know, so I said this is when the show turns for me, and I and I mean that, but I I think I want to say one thing because we had talked a little bit before about you know my my feelings about the tone of this show versus Korra when we get to it, and and I will say that this episode, this like the ticking clock they put on it, while it works really well over the long term for the arc, is actually probably my biggest problem with Avatar, which is that it forces the kind of thing that you get in these chosen one stories a lot which is that someone has to suddenly be able to train this ridiculous takes you your entire lifetime to master art Mm -hmm. in a very short bit of time and you know they're going to succeed because that's the whole story right like this is not this is a kid show they're not like ang isn't going to be like i wasn't trained enough and then get his neck snapped by (laughs) oza finale spoilers spoilers (laughs) so so, you know, I, but it is, it's like, I, it's something that like Korra takes a very different tack with its plotting. But anyways, I just wanted to say that this, I feel like this exemplifies why Avatar and I love Avatar and you're not going to hear me complaining a ton <laughs> as we go forward and the show gets better and better. Um, but that kind of, this is one of those tropes that I'm not a huge fan of, which is like the, Hey, guess what? You're going to have to do something that no one does, which is learn something really difficult in a really short period of time, because I feel like it kind of takes something away. From the concept. That said, they make it work. They're gonna make it work. I'm cool with it, but <laughs> not a, I'm not a huge fan of the of the like needing that kind of situation. But. Yeah, I've 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 been trying to figure out what at what point I was going to raise the question of the whole chosen one idea because um, listeners of this show may or may not be familiar with um, with you, Eric, from your appearances on Gobbledygeek or whatever, but. Uh, you're you're pretty famous for not being a fan of chosen one stories, uh, I, and, and I I actually agree. I'm not quite as down on them as you are, but but I agree that it's an overused trope. And it, you know, in the multiple times that I've watched Avatar, it's never really dawned on me that that's what this is. But at a certain point, I, preparing for this show, I realized this is actually. I mean, Aang is the chosen one, and uh, I wonder how Eric feels about that. You know, it, it works. So it, it, it does have that trope. And I'm not a huge fan of the trope. And it has an aspect of the trope, which I don't like, which is what I just said, which is a lot of times in the Chosen One stories, it's like, you are untalented, but you are going to have to become talented in five days in order to face this person. And you will and you'll win. And that kind of thing is kind of obnoxious. But the one thing Avatar does do that I like that sort of circumvents the worst of the Chosen One trope is that the Avatar being the Chosen One is like a baked-in concept to the world. Aang mm-hmm. isn't the only Chosen One. Right. This is a recurring concept. There is always an Avatar. And the Avatar is always meant to do this. And Aang just happens to be it in this pe- particular kind of, period of time. Kind of like how there's always a Slayer. I, I, was, I was actually about to say that even though this show doesn't really uh, lampshade it as much as Buffy the Vampire Slayer did, uh, like on... On Buffy, one of Buffy's greatest strengths was the fact that she, unlike most of the previous Slayers, she didn't go through the fight alone. Like, she had her her friends. She relied on her friends and her family, the group around her. Um, and, And Avatar never actually, you know, specifically states that Avatars have to bring balance to the world by themselves but there certainly is as the show progresses i mean it certainly becomes a big deal the fact that he has this built this found family around him and and they are a unit so he's not doing this by himself you know what's interesting about that paul because you you know you mentioned how this works better than um a lot of chosen one things and i do i mean i'm not i don't hate chosen one stuff there's an awful lot of chosen stuff chosen one stuff that i like it's just sort of a trope that I'm, i'm a little tired of for a lot of reasons but what i think is neat about avatar is with the slayer you get the feeling that an awful lot of slayers were failures mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Like, they died horrible deaths. They didn't, man- you know, like, they hit some battle they couldn't face. And like you said, her her found family is why she survived. What I like about Avatar is all the other Avatars were successes. Like, let's be clear. Kyoshi lived, like, 300 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Avatars are a generation, generations of badasses have preceded Aang. But the fact that he has friends sort of balances out the fact that he doesn't have enough time to learn. Like, I think that's sort of what's interesting is it sort of that's the mitigating factor to the fact that Aang should not be able to win this battle is that you it's not just him. It's him and Katara and Sokka. So- Sokka. What the hell? I can't pronounce the name. <laughs> Sokka. Um, so but him and Sokka. So the fact that they have the three of them sort of means that it's three of them learning together 
Right. And it, it, so I think it's interesting because it's a very different take on how the chosen one thing, like, it's not like, oh, this will be the guy that succeeds. It's more like, this is the one that's going to fail because he's already fucked up so bad that he's let them have a hundred years of head start on them. Mm. But now that he has friends, maybe he can undo the damage that his childishness did. Yeah. So that's it's a, a really little different way of looking at it. I like that. So anyways, I, I, I dig it. I, I'm, I'm not going to complain a lot about the chosen one stuff. Cause I think avatar does it really well. So I thought this is a good point to mention it, but um, generally I think that they, they, they thread this needle pretty uh, adeptly. Yeah. Um, so let's see what, uh, what other stuff did we get from the, the two-parter? I mean, we, uh, we get our first look brief though. It may be uh, of the fire nation. So, I mean, we finally get a, a tiny glimpse of what life is like inside the Fire Nation when uh, when they go to the, the Crescent Island. Which unfortunately means more Commander Zhao. <laughs> yes. can, can I ask, Eric, what is your... So obviously Commander Zhao, you're not supposed to like him. But what what, what is your special hatred of Commander Zhao? So have you ever seen In the Loop, either of you? I, I have, yeah. The, uh, the Ianucci... <laughs> Movie. Yeah, so there's a point when, when Peter Capaldi's character is talking to Linton Barrick, who's like the head of war person there, like he's like the, the Secretary of Defense, and he goes, you're just one boring psychopath, and that is how I feel about Commander Zhao. <laughs> That's fair enough. He, he does seem, he seems like a stock character. I mean, he, you know, he is the character he's supposed to be. I'm not, he's not poorly written, you know, and, and his arc makes sense, and everything about him makes sense. It's not like he's badly written. But he is one boring psychopath. And yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's not particularly interesting. I guess he he but. works because he is a foil for Zuko. That's right, why right. he works. That's that's his his role in the story. And and that way he and he does end up with a really nice little like action sequence in the first episode. I guess in the second episode um, with the the blockade, yes. the fire ship blockade. Yeah. That's that's a pretty cool scene. That's a pretty cool scene. Yeah. Um, like every time I wa- I rewatch these episodes, when it comes to that moment where uh, they're they're flying on Appa and they look down and they're like, "Uh oh, there's a blockade." My, every time I'm like, "Just so what? You're in the air. They're on boats. <laughs> What's the big deal? They're blocking the water. Zuko won't be able to follow you." And then they start unleashing all the fireballs and the catapults and all that stuff. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's actually a threat. I get it." That was a great scene, by the way. Yeah, yeah. it's a great scene. Them trying to dodge all the fireballs and everything. That was really that, that that might be as far as the action stuff goes. Might be my favorite moment of the series so far. Wow, I think it might be my favorite non martial arts action sequence. I think I've I've had a couple of of fight scenes that I think work better, and I think that one of them is um, the there's a fight with Zuko and Iroh against those Earthbender. Oh yeah. yeah, guys, and like I really dug that. And also, every single time Aang and Zuko go toe to toe, is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. L- let me ask you about the Earthbender, guys. By the way, okay. so Paul, initially when we were going to do this podcast, one of the names, one of the titles that you came up oh, with for yeah. our show was "Bossing Say What," <laughs> which I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be upfront and honest here. I'm glad. That's not the title of our podcast. <laughs> um, and, and then you, it was going to be like a recurring segment. It was. The show, but that didn't happen either. Um, so my question here is, this whole Bossing Say... So, so Iroh basically laid siege to the city of Bossing Say. Right. A si- um, uh, it, it's an Earth Kingdom city that withstood a 600-day siege. By it's the, the Earth Kingdom by, capital. It's yeah. the capital of the Earth Kingdom. Although they don't tell us that yet, but yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, and then he, Iroh eventually left because his men were tired and he, he sort of accepted defeat. Right. But the, these guys have come back for, you know, to revenge to capture and bringing back to, to, to Bossing Say. So my question to you is, since that was initially going to be the name of our podcast, mm-hmm. is there a greater significance to Bossing Say down the line? You don't have to, I don't want you to tell me what it is if there is, but is there? Yes. Okay. I'm going to say this about Bossing Say and what where I think you're going with the Earth Kingdom stuff, AJ. And I'm going to say this: okay. fuck the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> we'll talk right. more about that later. Jeez, but... wow. All right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so AJ's or uh, Eric is drawing a line in the sand yes. that the Earthbenders will sand. just wave yes. their hands in a race, anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now. I've got this in my notes, but I'm starting to doubt myself. Uh, when the when the Earthbenders 
capture Iroh, do they refer to him as the Dragon of the West? I can't remember. I don't recall that, but it's it's not in my notes, which doesn't mean it didn't happen. I I think that's when it happened. I mean, if not, okay, minor spoiler. At some point, they refer to him as the Dragon of the West, but I think it was right there. I think they, I think when they first catch him, they say, "Yes, this is not any Firebender. This is General Iroh, the Dragon of the West, or something like that." So, um, I just I like the fact that Iroh is has has a history, has a background. He had, he, that character has a story that has not been told yet. So. Yeah. I, they do a lot of really interesting things with Iroh. And I think that a lot of it, it it comes out in two ways. One of which is, is his relationship with Zuko, which you really see come to the fore in the first two parter. Um, when he's desperately trying to keep Zuko from being a dumbass and charge into the earth King and the fire, fire nation and get himself arrested. Yeah. Because his father is apparently a gigantic dickhead. Um, and then later in, I think it's the waterbending scroll when he gets captured, right? That's, is that the one? When, when, who? when Iroh gets captured? No, no, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in the spirit it, world. Yeah. Is it in the spirit world? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh no, you're right. It is. I'm sorry. I'm getting them a little confused. Yeah, you're right. Cause he was in the bath in the spa Yeah. in the spirit world and he gets captured by the earthbending people. Yes, you're right. Um, so, you know, you get that side of it too. The, the fact that Iroh has a history as a apparently fearsome general. Yeah. At one point in his life, um, all of which I, I think that it, all of this starts laying a lot of really interesting groundwork for Iroh um, and also interesting groundwork for Zuko, too, because you get the feeling that Zuko doesn't quite appreciate the um, gravity of Iroh's history. Yeah, um, that was a great I mean, again, talking about the fight between Zuko, Iroh and the, the Earthbenders, it was a great moment because you've got uh, we've seen Iroh. uh I mean, he's he's the calm one. He's the the quiet one that has, you know, hidden strength or whatever. You get a sense that there's more to Iroh than he's letting on. But he's the he's the portly, you know, old uncle, and and he's been captured and he's finding all these clever ways to leave a trail for his uh, for his nephew to follow. And uh, you know, he tries to make a break for it. Uh, but he gets captured, but it looks like he planned it that way. Like he, he's, he's delaying them basically is what he's doing and he's naked. They've stripped him naked and he still manages to like Zuko fights with the firebending. But if I remember correctly in that fight, um, Iroh never does any firebending. He's just using the broken lengths of chain from his manacles, right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what he does. The a fat, fight. naked old guy with chains <laughs> hanging from his wrists, and he kicks the ass of five Earthbenders. I was, I was impressed with the level of near nudity on a Nickelodeon show. <laughs> I will say, he had a little loincloth. He wasn't, he wasn't buck naked. No full frontal or anything on this show, but <laughs> anyways. Um, so yeah, what else? Oh. uh so we, the name uh, Roku has been dropped before the avatar that came before Aang. And in these two parters, we actually get to quote unquote, meet him. We meet him in the spirit world. Um, and I think one of the great things about Roku, uh, at least at this stage is that it gives us a look at um, a more, uh, a kinder, like a more passive look at fire nation culture. Cause so far all, with the exception of Iroh, all we've seen of fire nation citizens and, or whatever is that they're all dicks. They're all angry, hot-headed bastards, uh, except for avatar Roku, apparently who uh, seems to be much more, uh, you know, spiritual. Well, we actually get two things. We get we get Roku, who um, does give you that sense of the history of the Fire Nation and what the Fire Nation was before the war came. But you also get the um, the idea of what the um, Fire Shrine, the the Shrine to Roku, the people mm-hmm. who who uh, used to monitor that were by the one guy who explains what they used to be like. And I one thing I really like about that is when we meet these these monks and they're deceitful. Fire, they fire try to, sages. I'm sorry, you're right, the fire sages, excuse me. They they meet the fire sages and they're assholes. But then you get the idea that there were a time when these people were dedicated to the Avatar, but the Avatar's been gone for so long. Right. So, of course, they, they swing over to the fire, to, to I guess it would have been Sozin's side Yeah. at that point. So I kind of like the fact that part of the fact that the Fire Nation has gone so wrong 
is also laid on Aang's feet. You know, like, these people didn't have anywhere else to go. Ozai rose, he had the comet, he went berserk and started killing people. What the hell else were these people supposed to do? Yeah. And so I kind of like that there's that aspect of, like, like we see what the Fire Nation used to be, and we also get the sense that the whole Avatar keeping balance in the world thing isn't just kicking people's asses. Like, by letting balance go so out of out of whack, he's enabled a lot of awful things to, to happen because of it. And I, and I really like that little undercurrent to this episode. Right. Actually, um, we haven't, at this stage in the show, we haven't seen very much of the previous avatars. Um, I'm trying to remember, have we seen anybody besides no, Roku? Just the statues. No, we haven't statues. seen any of the okay. avatars. Yes. Um, but the implication is, so this war, like the, the opening uh, narration of, of every episode talks about how uh, you know, the four nations used to live in peace and harmony with each other. Um, and then everything, everything changed when the fire nation attacked, uh, because the avatar disappeared. So basically every, the implication, at least from the opening narration is that all the avatars that came before Aang may possibly have had it kind of easy. Like there, there wasn't any war. They were keeping balance, but what, you know, what were they doing? They weren't fighting the Fire Nation back then. The Fire Nation has risen up and there's been this hundred years war because there's been no Avatar. Truth. So, Truth. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, Kyoshi lived 300 years. <laughs> surely, <laughs> yeah, sure. she, surely she saw some wars. She, yeah, she had a scuffle or two, probably. But, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so what else do we get? We get... Um, Oh, I just like the fact that we get to see, we get the idea of animal guides thrown in because yeah. um, we get to meet at least the spirit of uh, Avatar Roku's animal guide, which happened to be a badass dragon. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and then they, you know, they they name Appa as Aang's animal guide. Like uh, before this, you might have just thought, oh, it's just you know, he's his pet or he's he's like his horse whatever but <laughs> he's like his horse but uh you know he's an animal guide so maybe there's a little bit more to it than oh i feel like you're dropping me a hint I, I, am i i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about i'm speculating i, I don't know what he's talking about either and I've seen... <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm just right. i'm trying to stir you up there aj hey can we talk about the uh princess M mononoke homage oh are you talking about <laughs> are you talking about hey bye Yes. By the way, I, I would love to. I would love for all of you to be able to see how I try and spell these names in my notes without consulting any sort of character guide or Wikipedia. Like before, I get, before we get into the hey bye stuff, which by the way I spelled H A Y B Y E, as in hey bye. Um, oh my gosh! Wow, that is that is just a disaster. <laughs> you got um, the H and the B right. <laughs> yes. Um, the guy who was Aang's mentor. Mm -hmm. Who is monk, dead now monk, with the yeah, pies? Monk Gyatso. Okay, how I want to know how you spell his name because the way I have it in my notes is deeply not right. What are we talking? His name is Gyatso. It's I believe I will double check, but I believe it's G Y A T S. Oh. It's G Y A T S O. I always say Gyatso oh, like it ends so... with a U. Oh, I so thought it was I thought it was you, but is is it Gyatso? It's o. okay. Yeah, Gyatso. Okay, so, Gyatso. Okay. So it's Monk Gyatso. Yes. Oh, man. What, oh, man. Did you thought it was monkey something? I thought it was like Monk Gyatso. <laughs> so in my notes, this is how I have I spell his name oh, every time. this is great. This is oh, great. Oh, man. The word monkey, okay, <laughs> hyphen A-T-Z-O. Monk Gyatso. <laughs> so that... so that is, that is really embarrassing, and I'm going to embarrass you a little more, the fact that you couldn't figure this out. AJ, just because I would like you to know that each Dalai Lama, other than the first, had Gyatso as the second word of his personal name. So you have basically insulted the entire line of I, Dalai Lamas by thinking that it means it was monkey Gyatso. <laughs> by the way, the Dalai Lama thing is interesting because I was just thinking earlier, uh, and we may have already learned this, but I mean, this is my first time through the show and there's been a lot of information. Um, do we know how Aang was chosen? Is, is it like a Dalai Lama thing where the, the Avatar is just reincarnated to we, another body? Well, they are, it, they are reincarnated, but... Um, we, we won't learn about the choosing of an Avatar, the finding of an Avatar, until, until Korra, I think. Yeah, the, the, really? the finer okay. points of it, yeah. In, yeah. Um, 
in the episode the southern air temple when we got the flashback to monk yatso and all that <laughs> monkey yatso exactly monkey yatsi um we... <laughs> monkey yatsi <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean they showed they referenced in there and i I do think we hear about this again, but they referenced in there that um, Aang was 12 years old at the time that he was he was told he was the Avatar, and he what normally they're not told until they're 16. Right. right. So, at, for some reason, at the at that time, the monks decided that he needed to be told four years before he technically was ready. <clears throat> okay. But it is absolutely a reincarnation. I mean, that, that is yeah. that is absolutely part of it. Each avatar is the reincarnation of the previous avatar going all the way back, which is why avatar why he recognizes the previous avatars right. when mm-hmm. he sees them. Okay. Um, so back to the the whole spirit of the forest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty cool. And definitely, like, reminded me of the... And I'm, I know that the spirit of the forest is not a concept unique to Princess Mononoke, but just the way they visualized it sort of, to me, felt like the Nickelodeon budget version of what they did with uh, the spirit of the forest in Miyazaki's uh, yeah, in my Mononoke. Yeah, in my notes, I wrote that uh, Hey by the Black and White Spirit looks very <clears throat> Miyazaki-esque. But I did a little research, and it was actually... And by research, I mean I, I looked at the art of the animated series... Uh, that character design was actually inspired by uh, the show Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion. I knew it looked it looked like an angel. Yeah, it looks <laughs> like an angel from Neon Genesis. Yeah. So I've never seen by that the show. Way, but... By the way, if you're listening at home and would like to hear more about Paul, myself, and even Eric on one episode, discuss the works of Hayao Miyazaki, go to gobbledygeekpodcast.com. That was crass. Wow. Please cut all that right. out, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave in all of my idiocy, but take out the part where I try to plug our show. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. Oh, I, I wanted to comment. This is the first time it's occurred to me on this watch, but uh, when they're at the very beginning of... Why am I losing my voice? Damn it. <clears throat> at the very beginning of the episode, when they're flying through the air and they see the like the burnt-out forest, the scar in the forest... That reminded me a bit from of the scene from How to Train Your Dragon 2. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I just, that's a good point. I, I wonder if there was any inspiration taken from this. So. Interesting. <clears throat> you know, Avatar does kind of remind me, like, tone-wise, of How to Train Your Dragon. So you might have something there. Next time I talk to... Uh... <laughs> To the writers of that. Your, your best friend, Dean DeBlois. Yeah. Has, has, he, has, we... he, uh, has he uh, taken down that restraining order? <laughs> no, I, I haven't approached him lately. So Okay. All right. I'm I, proud I, of you. I don't think I've been blocked. Anyways, um, what else? What else did we get in here? Oh, uh, I Eric, I, wa- I wanted to say, again, add this to the list of things that we're going to have to talk about later. Um, but there's something... When uh, when Avatar Roku is destroying the temple, it appears to me <clears throat> that he's doing something that uh, we will need to talk about much later in this show. Are, uh, are we talking near the end of Avatar itself? Uh, actually, I don't think we'll be able to talk about it until we get deep into Legend of Korra. Interesting, because I don't know what you're talking really? about then. We'll have to talk. I'm, I'm curious what you mean by that, but I'll yeah. go back and, and take a look at that. Okay. Um, I did really like that scene, by the way, of Roku destroying the temple, um, especially because at first the, the other characters are confused, you know, where's Aang? And then it turns out that um, that that was Aang, but taking taking the form of uh, Roku. Right. I Chan- really like Channeling that. or whatever. Right. Um, which yeah. I... I um, Eric, if you remember, uh, I don't think this will count as a spoiler, but I'm... Not sure if we see that kind of thing again. Do we? I don't think so. But I could be wrong because I I actually didn't remember that scene specifically, like playing out that way. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hesitant to say what whether we'll see something like that again. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess I guess moving on to uh, the waterbending scroll. Uh, which of these four episodes? That's this is kind of the filler episode, right? I feel like which is... it's it's still good. I think yeah. compared to because uh, sort of it's like uh, it's the king of Omashu of these three episodes or of these four episodes. Yeah, but I think it's a stronger episode. 
than that. Yeah. It's interesting because I would say that I think that the waterbending scroll was a better executed episode than Jet, even though Jet has more important stuff in it. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, well, uh, we, we'll have to explore that because um, I actually, I, I kind of think I put Jet at the top of these four episodes. I, I liked Jet less this time really? than I have in the past. Yeah, well, than I thought I was going to. I was really looking forward to Jet, and I liked it. And it, and it ended up in the places that reminded me of why I liked it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, I don't know why I like that at all. But I felt that the central conflict of Jet felt more, like, tortured and, and like, and forced than the central plot of the waterbending scroll which really went down to something really interesting which was katara's struggles to become a great waterbender while being with ang who's the avatar and this shit comes naturally right to him so i actually really liked the central idea in that and also because it finally got us to thank the lord a ang doing something other than airbending (laughs) and b katara finally waterbending so right, right. and like in a yeah. serious way. So yeah. I think those two things ended up elevating the waterbending scroll a little higher than I liked. Also, I do like the waterbending scroll thing being like an old school like kung fu pamphlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was pretty badass. Yeah. The, well, that, there, there are only two things I hold against the waterbending scroll. One is that one pirate's voice. I wanted to punch that voice in the throat. <laughs> Which one? The, 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 like, the, the, the one they first meet, like the like the huckster on the street. The Kaylee? Sure. <laughs> His voice made me want to punch things. Um, and secondly, the the twist of the uh, whistle being used to call Appa uh-huh. um, is completely ruined by the fact that it is shaped like a bison. <laughs> well, why is everyone surprised, and why didn't Aang tell anyone that's that, why he spent one of their three copper pieces on it. <laughs> I was going to say, it it is strained a little bit that uh, presumably Aang knew what that whistle was. Um, oh yeah, he I would it, I would assume he that he did. What it was going to be. I mean, when he blew it, he knew what it was. Yeah. So so the strain or the suspension of disbelief comes in the fact that they keep giving him grief about it, and he never says right, you know, why it's useful. So. I'm with you on that, but still, I mean, you know, it's, it was, it was funny. (laughs) It was played for laughs, I guess, but, um, see, I was going, I was all prepared to go into this saying that, uh, I I do have some notes of stuff that happens in this episode, but for the most part, I I was prepared to say, you know, not much really happens in the waterbending scroll. I mean, we, we do get another reminder, um, that waterbending is actually a <clears throat> a martial art that includes forms and moves and that kind of stuff, and that it it uh, needs to be learned and and preferably needs to be taught by a master. So th- that was you know driven home a little bit. <clears throat> and we're reminded of the fact that Katara has never been taught. This is all just stuff she's figured out on her own. Right. Um, and we get to see that she has a competitive side to her. She's frustrated that Aang is a natural and all this crap. Um, What else? Um, I I, like the fact that we get to see, again, my boy Sokka shows that, you know, when the chips are down, he can, he can be the brains of the group. Yeah. He actually had some good idea. I mean, even in the two parter, his idea though, it didn't work to open the door. Right. Yeah. was pretty smart. That was a, that was a sharp idea. At yeah. Which, I mean, he begins distinguishing himself from being the Xander of the group pretty early by actually having something to contribute. Yeah. And and already, like, in these last, these four episodes, Sokka's, first of all, his personality feels more like the Sokka that I remembered. So I feel like he's the character that I knew now, mm-hmm. which means that those early episodes are just an aberration. Like, yeah. he didn't grow out of that. That was just bad writing. So. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but he starts getting a little more interesting and more more i mean he's really he's useful in both the waterbending scroll and especially in jet but yeah but he's you know he's part of the battle in the waterbending scroll you know he does some he does some worthwhile stuff you know what i really appreciate about the waterbending scroll Hmm. um because again this uh, at a certain point i'm sure i'll stop mentioning this but this is a nickelodeon show so there i think there are some built-in expectations with that um and at the end of the episode you know because the whole thing is set in motion by the fact that katara steals the scroll 
from the pirates. And there's a scene at the end where Sokka's like, first, what did you learn? Right. And she goes, stealing is wrong. And I was like, oh, so they, that was like, oh, there's a forced moral on a, on a Nickelodeon kids show. And then she follows it up with, unless it's from pirates, which I thought was a nice little yeah. twist on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did anything else come out of that episode? I, you know, a funny scene that just makes me laugh every time I see it is, when they're fighting the pirates and Zuko's men and they're lost in the cloud of smoke <clears throat> and Aang like says, I'm right over here and blows the smoke away and realizes that all of a sudden he's surrounded and everybody can see him. So he sucks the smoke back in. <laughs> I don't know, just I think that's a funny scene. I don't know. Hey, hey, we get the return of cabbages guy. That's right. I wasn't going to point wait, it out because apparently he that. annoys you. Holy shit. Wait, yeah, he, what? They're, 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 the pirates are chasing them through the city and they, they were like, destroy his cabbages again. He goes, my cabbages, this place is worse than Omashu. I totally missed that scene. I completely wow. and utterly missed that scene. Wow. Eric, because I think last uh, last week or the week before, you had, uh, it would have been last week, you mentioned like, what's the deal with the cabbages guy? I don't get it. Uh, he's going to um, like pop up throughout the rest of the series and you're going to be like, what the fuck? Why, I, I don't recall this at all. You, you know, when I said, what's the deal with Cabbage's Guy, what I really meant was, I hope I never see Cabbage's Guy again. So <laughs> I think that my mind is just going to protect me from seeing Cabbage's Guy the rest of the series. What you don't remember is that Cabbage's Guy plays a pivotal role in the series finale. I, I, AJ, you've never seen the show, and even if you had, you would be joking. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will, just really? say, I will just say that I'm surprised that you are having to explain this to Eric, because this Cabbage thing is a running joke. I didn't remember this running oh. joke at all. I'm really, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not screwing around. This is not me just being in a dick trolling. I actually did not remember Cabbage's guy at all. I did not see him, or at least if I did, I don't remember seeing him in this last episode. Well, AJ, uh, watch me blow Eric's mind. The Cabbage's, the Cabbage's guy running joke is a thing that even, not the way you may expect, AJ, so this, uh, don't count this as a spoiler, but that sort of running joke even crosses over into Korra. There is not a Cabbage's guy running joke. There, there absolutely 100% is a tie to this whole Cabbage's guy meme that is being set up right now. Well, see, this is the whole point of this rewatch now. Is Eric <laughs> learns about Cabbage's guy. <laughs> this is beautiful. I love getting to watch this unfold. <laughs> okay. I, deliberately, I, I, I was not going to mention Cabbage's, Cabbage's guy because last week when you when you poo-pooed the whole Cabbage's Guy thing, I thought you remembered that this is a fucking running joke and you hated it. So I just wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't even going to mention it. No, I, I, I mean, I really, honestly, watching King of Umashu, I was like, what the fuck is with this Cabbage's thing? <laughs> wow. All right. Boy, you were in for some good times, Eric. You have some repressed uh, Cabbage-related memories. Yeah. Obviously a traumatic Cabbage incident in your past. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you could all be here for um, this moment in my life. Um, it's all going to get worse from here. <laughs> all right. I can't um, wait. Yeah, let's see. I, I, I don't know if we want to count this as significant, but uh, Katara does get her mother's necklace back. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, who knows what that means? Who knows... <laughs> Who knows if they're, you know, why did they have Zuko find it and then return it to her or whatever? Who knows? But I just thought we didn't comment last week on the fact that they made a big deal out of her losing her necklace and that Zuko found it. Yeah. So <clears throat> there. All right. Well, now, little, now I'm going to be on necklace watch. Yeah, now. Exactly. Necklaces, necklaces and cabbages. That's all I want out of the show. All right. So so AJ's on necklace watch. I'm on cabbage watch. <laughs> Oh, if only there were a tattoo watch in this show. It, I really, I, I'm on. I'm actually on the on the the um the I'm on Sentinel duty for tattoo watch. So if <laughs> if I've missed some kind of tattoo related thing in the series, I will notice it. Okay. All right. Cool. So, I guess we can move into the the last of the four. Um, actually, hold on. Okay. Let's just back up. We are already on tattoo watch. How did Ang get his tattoos? Oh, good point. So there we go. Wow. We're on tattoo watch. It is on. It's done. We will find. We will get the confirmation of that in the um, the comics. If you didn't figure out what's up with the the tattoos, um, the my only question is: question. 
is is uh, Biling in the comics. There is a Biling episode of this show, which is obviously is there based on the fact that Biling is always the best episode of any show. She is the best episode of the show. You are. There's something wrong with you. Biling right. is on this show. <laughs> of course she isn't. I, I, <laughs> I, I had no idea. I was not going to say anything because it he was stumping plausible. me. It seemed plausible. <laughs> now I'm going to have to look and see if she actually is. Because you're I, right. I, it does seem plausible that she could show up. I wish she was on this show just so that you would have to deal with the Biling episode of Avatar. Because so, it would so, be amazing. So that would there, be the best episode we ever recorded. So that easily there would be like, we, that one could easily, easily be marked as like the worst episode of Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that would be. There wouldn't even be a debate. We would just be able to be like, "Is there a biling episode? Worst episode." <laughs> <laughs> when I when I am a showrunner one day, many years from now, I'm just gonna get my biling episode out of the way, like episode two, and then it's everything. It's it's all uphill from there. No, see, you don't want to do it that early because you don't want to get canceled. You don't want to chase your viewers <laughs> off. You have to wait till like this is why it shows up later because you only can really burn your biling episode further into the show when you can afford. Your fans going, oh god, it's the Biling episode. Was was Biling's uh, Angel episode season one or season, season two? Season one. It was. Season it was season one, one but it was late. It was later in season one, right? It was like and fifteen you, or sixteen. You could consider that, like, you know, Angel had been had been around for a while as part of Buffy, so yeah. they found it acceptable to slip Biling in there. Oh, also, god. let's be clear that Angel is what started the Biling episode is the worst episode of the show trend. They didn't know what they were getting into when they did the Biling episode. <laughs> I would like to point out. She was on not one but two episodes of Touched by an Angel. Wow. Were they were they the worst episodes of that show? Um, I think every episode is the worst episode of that show. So I might well, be he, the wrong person. Here, here's the question then. Is is the Biling episode if there's two Biling episodes, what is the worst episode of the show? Yeah. I'm gonna let everyone the viewers figure that one out. I don't think philosophers will ever be able to <laughs> to, to agree on that point. There, that is my riddle, that is my monkey yatsu riddle. Of the show. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Uh, if Biling is in two episodes of a series, what is the worst episode of the series? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but last, last Biling, last Biling thing. Um, she is so bad that she was cut out of one of the Star Wars prequels. Just gonna what? leave that there. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, um, all right. Are we? Are we? Is there anything else from Waterbending Scroll? No, let's go on to Jet. Let's talk Jet. All right. So uh, the first thing I want to point out in, about the episode Jet is we get our first, I think this is a really cool thing. We get our first example of Katara carrying a water skin. As, yes. Yes, yes, yes. As like ammunition. And one of the reasons why I think that's so so cool, other than the fact that it just looks cool, that water skin slung across her hip or whatever, um, it raises... Uh, an interesting question, or it's just interesting to think about the limits that are unique to each of the four bending disciplines. Because, like, airbenders obviously always have their element around them, presumably. Uh, earthbenders, likewise, they pretty much have regular access to earth unless they're in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Firebenders make their element. So, uh, uh, but waterbenders, it looks like at least at this point, it seems like they have to carry their element with them. Yeah, it's one thing that's interesting is that there are the limits. I mean, we, you know, like earthbending certainly has, earthbending has to manipulate something nearby. You know, they're, they're the closest, even though earth is largely everywhere, earth is the closest to waterbending. And then if you're somewhere where there isn't rock mm -hmm. or something, you know, like metal, things like that, they're in a little more trouble at that point. Whereas fire and airbenders can kind of do their thing whenever, but they also have very ephemeral effects. Right. You know, both both air and fire, they have it's everywhere. But you get a burst of air, you get a burst of fire, but you can't really do anything with it. Whereas water hovers, like the thing with the earthbending, like you can do stuff with it. They can make shapes. They can really manipulate it. So I think it's interesting that there's limitations in, on both sides of it, in that you know, Aang can always shoot a gust of air, but there's only so much that air can do. Although we have now seen him uh, with a powerful air kick. We've seen him destroy that entire fireball. That yeah. was pretty B.A. That was. That really was. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, I just I, I love Katara's little 
uh, water skin. So I just wanted to point out that this is when it finally shows up. I, I noticed the same thing, Paul. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this is when it starts. This is when it starts. Because that's one of my favorite things is that she carries a water skin just for like, you know, here's some water. Yeah. I can do this. Pretty awesome. Um, AJ, how'd you feel about this episode? I liked the episode. I liked um, I, I liked it, though. I think I'd be interested to hear why Eric um, didn't like it as much his second time watching it, because I think there are some like there are some underlying problems, I think, with the episode, even though I did like it. I mean, my feeling on this episode is that it has a really good idea. This idea of this freedom fighter who is very cool and and he's fighting the Fire Nation but is also kind of a monster because he doesn't have any limits is a really interesting idea. But I also feel like the episode overplays its hand to a great degree. It's, it's extraordinarily unsubtle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty – I would say it's pretty simplistic, um, which, I mean, again, I still like the episode, but I, I agree with you on overplaying its hand. And also – this is like the second or third, if you count Aang, like the, like the third time in this show in ten episodes that Katara's been like all sweet on somebody, and I just don't, I just don't know if that, especially with with how much that clouds her judgment of of Jet, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I did the first time I watched this series, I initially struggled with this episode because. <clears throat> This voice thing is going to kill me uh, because this, uh, as far as I can tell, Jet is the most overt tip of the hat to like the classic anime trope. Um, in in yeah. this case, uh, specifically the suave, slightly douchey rogue guy, the the cowboy bebop or samurai shampoo leading man kind of jackass. Um, and I mean, you get the scene with, him carrying her up into the trees and the, the color it gets all sepia tone and the leaves are falling and everything. I mean, it's very obviously it's playing on that. It's doing that intentionally, but still the first time I watched this, I was like, Oh God, I was hoping it wouldn't go this way. <laughs> um, you know what the problem is really is that, that, that Ang and Katara are too much in the bag for Jet to make sense. Yeah. In, like they, they go way too hard on the Sokka sees through him, but Ang and Katara do not. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it just nothing works. It's so obvious that Jet's going to be an asshole because of that divide that I don't think the reveal works quite as well as it should, even though the reveal is really interesting. I mean, I think what they're getting at is awesome that that just because you're a freedom fighter doesn't make everything you do okay. Right. And I love that idea. I like the message of this episode and I like what it gets at, but it just tries so damn hard to make it happen and to over push Sokka out of the group. On the other hand, it makes an episode where Sokka is suddenly the reasonable one. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. This, this episode, you know, I consider this a favorite because, um, I really think it, I, it's it's probably two things. One, the fact that um, I love Jet's hook swords, which, by the way, are those those are real world weapons. Yeah. And just like with uh, the martial arts that we see being adapted, being used uh, as the bending styles, the move, like the way he uses those swords and the things that he does with them, that's all actual, like, martial arts stuff with that weapon. That's how those weapons were used, and I think they're I think that's amazing. So I love all that stuff. The the like the fight sequence with uh, Jet and Aang through the trees and all that. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, but the real thing about this episode that I love so much is yes, it, it's the it's the growth or whatever. Or it's how front and center we get to see Sokka. You know, he can actually be mature and capable when he needs to be. Um, and even though the, there's a running joke in the episode about Sokka's instincts. Um, they actually kind of pay off, and I don't know. I just I like the fact that Sokka gets to be the one that's right, basically, in an episode. I agree. I, this is why, like, I like the episode in theory. It's just that in practice, it doesn't quite pull. And this is what I kind of meant with like the waterbending scroll. In theory, is kind of a fluff episode, mm-hmm. but in practice, has some really good character writing with Ang and Katara. Yeah. This has a really good idea, but the character writing doesn't quite work for anyone except for Sokka. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have any deeper thoughts on this episode, I guess. What? Uh, I, I, I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to point out the names yes. of some of uh, his posse, his which, freedom fighters. Which I loved. We have Pipsqueak, who's a, who's a giant guy. Yeah. Uh, S- Smellerby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Longshot and the Duke. Yep. Which, by the way, is my f- my favorite like seventies Western buddy comedy that never happened. <laughs> Longshot and the Duke. <laughs> um, those are the ones I, I wrote down at least. I knew, I'm sure I missed some. Sneers. You only missed one. Sneers. Sneers. Yeah. Does he sneer? I don't remember which one he was. I think Sneers. What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember sneers. which one is Sneers. Sneers for fears. <laughs> Jeez. Um. I mean, yeah, his Freedom Fighters, they had a, a bit of the, the Lost Boys meet Robin Hood's Merry Men feel to him. Yeah. Um, which, you know, over over the long term, that could that By the way, thin for me, but I, I liked it. Does Smellerby not sound like a fucking Hunger Games name? It does. Someone in Hunger Games was fucking named Smellerby, right? <laughs> they should have been. They should have been. There was a B in there somewhere. I I don't remember. We'll we'll discuss I, I that on our oh, uh, Plut- Hunger Plut- Games. Plutarch Heavensby, right? Oh, there you go. Yeah. What? There you go. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's uh, what's his name's character? Um. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. His name is not what? Plutarch Heavensby. Right. He's really Heavensby. Yep. Maybe it's not Heavensby. It's oh god. I think, I think it is. We're on an right. Avatar podcast. Yeah, it's Heavensby. I was right. I was right. All right. We're on an Avatar podcast, and I just proved I was right about something to do with the Hunger Games. <laughs> we also talked about biling for like 35 minutes. So. That's okay. All, all biling of uh, conversation is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, there was a, a very small, like, throwaway line of dialogue that I really liked in this. It's not, it's not, it's not a funny line of dialogue. I just really liked the wording on it. It kind of reminded me of like a Firefly-ish line when a uh, jet is relaying a. Excuse me. He's relaying a story to, to everyone. He's like, I got a special joy from the look on one soldier's mm-hmm. face. Like that, that just sounded like something. Uh, and I know that the whole band of rebels idea mm-hmm. I, I like. So I, I liked, I liked this episode, but I do think it. Uh, and I'm not prepared to say I liked it less than the waterbending scroll, because I think I agree with Eric. I like the idea of Jet better. I, I, I don't know. I think the two are kind of on par. They just have different strengths and weaknesses. I, mean, I can totally see that. I can totally see that. Yeah. There, there was some pretty significant stuff that happened in this episode. I mean, the pretty dark stuff. I mean, you had Jet was basically going to wipe out an entire town of people. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, for a brief moment, it appeared that that was happening on camera. I kind of wish he had. I kind of wish. Like, I'm glad that Sokka got to got to be the hero there. But I, I kind of, I kind of wish they pulled that trigger. Wow, you were kind of a monster i am i I, absolutely am i'm with aj only because like when i talk about how this show has a weird like tonal break you know this is one of those things where a show that wasn't on nickelodeon could have just gone there and ang could have learned like a really serious lesson Mm -hmm. but nickelodeon could never kill a town full of people in that way while we watch water rush over them (laughs) (laughs) and at the same time like i'm not saying we had to see them like gurgling for air like sonic the hedgehog but uh, and even if they had killed like the whole village, you could have still had that character thing with Sokka. Like he could have tried because he even says, and I really like the sepia like sketch flashback. Mm-hmm. He even says that they didn't believe him at first. So you still could have had that, and then he could just could have failed as well. I don't know. Would have taken the show to some really dark places. That I kind of wish had. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe the show gets there at some point. Who, who's to say? Don't, but... don't play games with me. <laughs> Do not play games with me. I, I think that would have been pretty brutal, especially if they had gone the route of Sokka tried but failed. <laughs> like I, We're 10 episodes in. I want all of these people to be broken. <laughs> like if the lesson was for Aang, which still, that's kind of a brutal lesson. Don't trust people. But I don't know. <laughs> that would have been bad enough. Don't but trust if... clear douchebags. <laughs> like the only clearer sign was that if Jet was wearing a fedora... Then you would have known, but that's it. Yeah. That's the don't only trust, way you should have been douche here. Don't it's trust about, anime about, pretty boys. Yeah, It's about ethics and firebending. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Terrible. I don't know. 
I, I liked the episode. I get what you're saying, but uh, I, I still enjoyed it. I How's also like the episode. I want to be clear that I like the episode. Yeah. How does it feel to be me, Paul? Uh, not good. good. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Yeah, In was... which Eric King of Omashu someone every single week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, man. Um, all right. Are we done already? Is there? Did we have anything else to talk about here? Bye, Ling. No, she got her say. Well, you know what's great about Bai Ling? Her name is Bai Ling, and she's also bilingual. <laughs> uh, we there... need to cut AJ's microphone. <laughs> That's the important thing. Uh, yeah. um, no, I mean, I think I really, I mean, I want to, I guess I want to loop back really fast just to talk about, you know, where we are in the series okay. at this point. Right. Because we have, we've gotten, you know, by this point, and it takes them up to this point, we're up to episode 10 out of, what is this, 20 episodes this season, Paul? Yep, we're halfway through. Uh, and we finally kind of have the setup of the world. We, it takes them a little bit, and I like that they drip it out. I really do. We find out about the Avatar, then we find out about the death of the Airbenders, then we find out uh, kind of about like the the state of the world with the Fire Nations War, and then finally we find out kind of the key piece, which is that that Sozin had used this moment of this comet to basically commit genocide right. against against Aang's people, and it's coming back. So like at this point, halfway through, we now totally understand where the stakes of this world are, and I like that. Like we're halfway through the first season; it's a really good point to hit. Uh, I'm feeling really confident about this season at this point, and and I was a little shaky last week about how I was going to feel about rewatching Avatar. Not that I wouldn't like it, but that I wouldn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little less worried about that okay. now. Hey, just to clarify, <clears throat> last week when I was setting up what we were going to be watching this week, you implied that there was an episode coming up that uh, you were really excited about. Like, like you and I were both, I think we're talking about the same thing. Was that Jet? Yeah, no, it was. Okay. I was I was excited about Jet. It was totally the episode I was talking about. That's why I, I was sort of surprised that I didn't, I didn't get excited about it in the way that I thought I did. So that's why if I sound disappointed, it's more that it was that I liked it less mm-hmm. than I thought I did than, as opposed to it being bad because it wasn't bad. I liked it. Cool. So that was the episode. That was the episode in question. How do you feel? Uh, how well do you remember? And how do you feel about uh, the next batch of episodes we're going to watch? So this next batch, I don't really remember any of them. Okay. Um, not not off the title. And once again, I'm not reading episode descriptions until I'm coming up on the until that that block comes up. So I haven't looked at anything. But based on the titles, I don't remember these titles. Okay. Um, I will not say anything here and now. Then. <laughs> I'm expecting a batch of 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 um, I'll tell you what I'm what I'm expecting a batch of intermittently successful one offs is what I'm expecting for the next four. OK, that's fair. How about you, AJ? What do you what do you how are you feeling going forward? I'm expecting them to be awful. Cool. <laughs> all, right, you all the way. That's that's the best way to go into stuff, AJ. Just <laughs> expect it to be terrible. That way you, you love everything. Yeah, you're always pleasantly surprised. There you go. All right. Well, um, that's how that's how I handle doing this podcast. Exactly. Every every time we talk, that's how I go into it. <laughs> God, this is going to be terrible. I have to talk to AJ again. Uh, and then I'm usually right, actually. So that's because I always just want to talk about Biling. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think that bringing her up was my fault, and I apologize. <laughs> we'll scrub every reference to Biling from now on. Um, all right, if if we're done, I guess uh, we will we'll move on. We'll set the stage for next week. So, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at our website. That's theavatarreturns.com, uh, and links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Um, or you could just subscribe to the show in iTunes, and every episode will be hand delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. Um, Speaking of, you can feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. Feed uh, the lemur. Feed the lemur. And, of course, you can always find us on social media. You can like us on Facebook for all of our updates, or you can follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I'm at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at Unplugged Crazy. Uh, next week, it's another... It's another four-batch 
episode, we'll be discussing book one, chapters 11 through 14, The Great Divide, The Storm, The Blue Spirit, and The Fortune Teller. <clears throat> so, uh, until then, remember, most people consider the lotus tile insignificant, but it is essential for the unusual strategy that I employ. Yes! Yeah!